turn your architectural designs into stunning, immersive experiences with Enscape. This innovative tool integrates seamlessly with your design software to bring your ideas to life in real time 3D and VR. With Enscape, you will experience instant rendering, have the ability to make design changes on the fly, and present your projects in stunning detail. Ideal for architects, designers, and anyone passionate about visual storytelling in architecture. Dive into a new era of design visualization with Enscape. Visit Enscape3D.com to learn more. That's E-N-S-C-A-P-E-3-D.com. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello and welcome back. Today we will be talking about Habitat for Humanity and Helix Micro Rebar and how the two came together for a project located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we will be talking with Luke Pinkerton. He is the founder of Helix Steel, a wealth of knowledge, all things concrete. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. But a little bit of background information. So Habitat for Humanity is a nonprofit organization with presence in over 70 countries. And their goal is to provide safe and affordable housing. So it's a ground up operation. They are doing a lot of new construction work, whether it be single family homes or townhome projects. And they involved local stakeholders, local tradespeople, and volunteers. The Habitat for Humanity highly relies on volunteers. And then they actually have the future homeowners volunteer their time as well. So they actually have a little bit of skin in the game, so to say, as far as the construction of their future home. So it's a great organization. And this project, like I said, is located in Grand Rapids, which is where the corporate headquarters is for Helix Steel. So one of the coolest things about this project to me, I guess, was the fact that the people that work at Helix were able to volunteer for this project for Habitat and actually see their product being implemented in the field and see kind of how that whole construction process goes together. So a little bit about Helix. So Helix Micro Rebar is added to the concrete. So it's a concrete reinforcement and it is added either at the ready mix plant or on site and kind of dosed into the concrete. So it's coming out through the pumper truck. So what this does, it essentially eliminates one whole step in concrete placement which is setting the reinforcement bars. So this reinforcement is actually put into the concrete mix. So there's no need for setting the reinforcement bar. So if you're relying on volunteers to construct, I think it's pretty easy to see that it kind of simplifies it and streamlines it a little bit. So the cost to construct actually goes down because it kind of eliminates that one whole 
labor step. The other cool thing about Helix Micro Rebar is that for those of you engineers that, you know, if you're going to implement something different, testing is super important. So Helix actually has their ICC ES reports that kind of show testing values for all of these things. And it's actually been implemented since 2007. So it's not really as new of a technology as I initially thought. And they actually have over 50,000 vertical installations. Flat work is one thing. It's continuously supported by the soil below, but vertical installation, so vertical construction, meaning that it is actually taking those bending loads and, you know, vertical compression loads. So I found that super fascinating too. So there is a lot of foundation for this system, not to use the word foundation in a foundation application, but I just did that. Anyway, I am going to hand it on over to Luke and he is going to tell us a little bit more about this project and how Helix was able to help out Habitat and save time and money and all of the good things. So first, just a little bit more about Luke. He is the president, chief technology officer, and founder of Helix Steel. He has a bachelor of science in engineering physics from Hope College and a master in science in structural engineering from the University of Michigan and an MBA from Georgia Institute of Technology. Luke sits on several technical code committees, including an ASDM committee and a handful of ACI or American Concrete Institute committees. So he is very well-versed in code writing and code development. So with that, I will hand it over to the expert Luke so that he can tell us more about this project. Hello, and today we have Luke Pinkerton. He is the President and Chief Technology Officer with Helix Micro Rebar. And today we are going to talk about the Habitat for Humanity Project in Michigan, I believe in Grand Rapids. Is that where you're located, Luke? That's exactly right, Carrie. Okay. Yep. So we're going to talk about the Habitat for Humanity Project where Helix reinforcement was used in these concrete walls. So Luke, if you could maybe just describe to us what Helix is and how it is used. Sure, Carrie. So Helix is a discontinuous reinforcement. We call it twisted steel micro reinforcement that is actually mixed into concrete to provide tensile resistance to the concrete. And, you know, that is sort of one of the most important properties of concrete because typically concrete's very weak in tension. A lot of what structural engineers do is they they basically do a bunch of fancy math to figure out where there's tension in concrete and then they put rebar there. So this is actually an alternative to putting that rebar there. Rebar works great, but it you have to manually place it. It it's difficult to get around, it's expensive, it can be dangerous. Helix, most of our customers come to us when they're having trouble getting maybe the rebar, maybe the rebar is more expensive than they'd like it to be, or maybe they're even struggling with the amount of labor that's needed. Maybe they can't get people, the labor market's been so tight, they can't get people to place it. Our product just goes right into the concrete truck. It's mixed in and in a way it automates the process of reinforcing concrete. Okay. Like a lot of us as structural engineers, we're used to like fiber reinforcement, maybe in like a slab on grade application that is put in to kind of minimize cracking. This is not that type of product. This is actual pieces of steel that are twisted for additional 
contact area, additional bonding with the concrete. So they actually function, as you were describing, as the tensile element in the concrete. Yeah, that's great. That's a great way. I, you know, you know, Carrie, are you looking for a job? Because <laughs> you basically, you hit it on the nose right there. It's been engineered with this twisted shape to bond to the concrete better than a fiber. So there's two fundamental differences. One, it's it's got that bond. It's like a screw versus a nail. It locks itself into the concrete. And another structural engineering principle or materials principle is that load will follow the stiffest path. So steel, unlike a synthetic product or a plastic product, is stiffer than the concrete itself. It's about 10 times stiffer. And because the helix doesn't slip relative to the concrete because of that twisted shape, it'll actually pick up that load. And we'll see that in the form of increased flexural strength or modulus or rupture in the concrete. And then eventually the concrete, you know, you get a high enough load or displacement, it, it will crack. That twist is actually engineered to kind of work like a corkscrew at that point. It actually has to untwist and that provides a really stable post-crack tensile resistance, which is sort of similar to what you get with rebar. So for that reason, we characterize it as something different than fiber because it has a, an effect before the concrete cracks and it, it has an effect after, whereas most of these other products, including rebar, really only, only affect the concrete after it cracks. Okay. So one question I have, and I really want to get into the project itself, but I want to get some of these like fundamental things with Helix kind of sorted out first. Sure. One question that I have is like clear cover. So with rebar, if we're designing with the pieces of rebar, we have a specific clear cover or concrete around the steel to protect that steel so that it doesn't rust and so that it performs as it's supposed to. How does that work with Helix? That's a great question. It's a little different when you have a discontinuous product like this. Mm -hmm. Corrosion is a, it's an electrochemical process that really occurs when a current is induced in a piece of metal and like a big piece of big, long piece of rebar can induce a pretty big current and it only takes a very small part, you know, just a, a single crack with water or chloride getting into it to start that corrosion, that electrochemical process. So there's this principle of, you know, two inches cover or whatever, you know, the code is, is saying in the area really to try to provide as much resistance to that even initial corrosion pattern starting because the, the steel is not protected from corrosion. It has a very high corrosion potential when it starts to corrode. With Helix, you've got a lot of pieces that are small and not electrically connected. So you don't have that high electrochemical corrosion potential. And then also each of the helix pieces is coated to protect it from corrosion as well. You know, and there's actually a lot of study even on like steel fibers that are untreated in concrete. They don't have that problem because of those principles, but we have taken the extra step of having that coating to protect it further. So we don't need to take into account that two inch, you know, cover for that reason. Gotcha. Okay. I just needed to wrap my head around that. So thank you very much for addressing that. Mm -hmm. Let's move into the project. So this Habitat for Humanity project where Helix is used in the vertical construction of these walls. Can you maybe take us back to the beginning of this? And when were you guys introduced into the project? Well, I mean, we've been involved, Carrie, with Habitat for probably five or six years now. We're members of the National Ready Mix Concrete Association and... Greg Lewis there, who does a lot of their, you know, community outreach type work, 
had approached us. I don't know, you may remember a few years ago, they had those horrible fires in California. It seems like they have a lot of horrible fires in California, but these were the ones that were in Paradise, California, which is kind of up near Sacramento. And, you know, the whole community basically burned. And NRMCA was starting an initiative through their Build with Strength program, which is really a program that's encouraging people to build with concrete. And ICF is a, a one way to do that. We have a lot of experience in that market going back to probably 2006, 2007. Greg reached out to us and said, hey, would you be interested in participating in, you know, with Habitat to build these homes in basically rebuild some homes in paradise that had had burned? So we were really excited about that. We got involved with that. And since then, we have participated in eight additional, not including the Grand Rapids Habitat projects, where we have provided you know, product or you know consulting or discounts or whatever to support these projects. Eight locations, 17 families. This will make 20 families, I think. So Greg had pulled us into a meeting. Erica Marr, I should give some credit to as well. She heads up sales for residential in our group. Pulled us into a meeting with Habitat for Humanity of Kent County in May of 2021, so over a year ago. And they had approached them with this idea of building a concrete home. And at first they're like, what? Why, why would we build a concrete home? Isn't concrete expensive? Doesn't have a high carbon footprint? You know, all this stuff. So we collectively kind of talked to Kent County about it and, and sort of we talked through the value proposition of concrete, the resiliency, the actual reality that it, it actually has a lower life cycle carbon footprint and then some of the other benefits to it. And then I think we got word in March of 2020 that they were officially going to do it. And at the same time, you know, we were working with their construction director, who's Abby Langdenberg and Sarah Poole there. Sarah is the volunteer coordinator. And what was really special about this one, all those other projects that we did, we just provided some material or some consulting type, some help with it. This one, our factory team and our sales team, our whole company team was actually going to volunteer to be a part of the build. Okay. So it was a big coordination. We did the design work and also Erica put together with Kent County, all the volunteer, you know, we had to do all the paperwork and everything. And we had, I, I don't know, there were probably two dozen of our employees out on site back in October when we, when we did this. Okay. So this was just recently then, right? Just a couple of months ago. Yeah. Okay. So they're still under construction. Yeah. They're not, I think they're scheduled to be done early part of the year. There are three families as a triplex. Okay. So it's actually, it's like a condo. It's a three attached condos, sort of two-story, really nice design. It was done by Corey Sandwick, Corey Sandwick Architecture. She also did the structural engineering for it. Really a very beautiful building that's going to benefit these three families. And, you know, I learned a, a lot about how Habitat works and how the families, they actually have the families and they're required to be involved with some of the construction. They get very, very favorable interest rates and, you know, financing to be able to make the home affordable and, you know, just a really great organization in terms of what the whole thing's about. And then, you know, I can't even tell you how I respect the construction crew because you, you got to remember these folks are dealing with a new set of people every day. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine. I was, we were all so proud of what we accomplished because even they said, wow, you guys really like, we finished the whole first story 
of the building, you know, in a day. And that was pretty cool to be able to do. Yeah. That's part of the thing of being a contractor is like you hire everyone, you get them trained up so that you can work efficiently. But like it's Groundhog's Day of like every day you're training new people, I suppose. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. They just are very patient people. I mean, it was really kind of cool. I mean, we have engineers. We had folks that make the product in our Grand Rapids factory. A lot of us knew a little bit about ICF construction. Many of us hadn't actually like built it though. Okay. You know, we'd been on job sites, we'd, we'd helped with the concrete mixes and the designs, but in terms of putting together the blocks and stacking the blocks and building the, the framing around the windows and doors and doing the bracing work and all that, it was, you know, it was an incredible experience being a little bit selfish for my team to have, yeah. to have that hands-on experience. It was an amazing team builder too. Yeah. Well, and it's what you do every day, right? Like in the office to be able to implement that in the field. And I just want to back up a little bit. So ICF, insulated concrete forms. So that's a way of constructing and forming up the concrete. So sometimes, you know, you'll use metal or wood panels to create forms and then they are stripped off and then you have to insulate something. But with ICF, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's insulated on both sides. That's what the form is. So it's essentially a sacrificial form that stays there and also functions as the insulation of the building, correct? Yeah, that's exactly the case. So it's a stay in place form. It's it's really just cast in place concrete walls. There's nothing like from a structural engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. And it's been around for decades, but it's always been kind of, it hasn't crossed the chasm. It, it's part of that like early adopter kind of thing. Yeah. It attracts a lot of people that are really trying to innovate, you know, even years ago before everybody was trying to be more energy efficient and whatnot. The main thing about it is energy efficiency. It, it seals the envelope so tight that, you know, in many cases, your heating and cooling load is like a fraction of what it normally would be. Okay. Well, and how fascinating too, because like, so you are on the reinforcement side. So the ICF is not technically kind of what you guys do, but they both have to meld together to create a reinforced concrete wall, right? Yeah. So like I said, the walls are, I mean, it's just a cast in place wall. And for example, the International Residential IRC has prescriptive guidance for above grade walls. So, you know, you know, if you're an ICF builder, you can theoretically you can go in the IRC and there are tables in there that say, you know, for this wind condition and this thickness wall, this is how much reinforcement you should put in it. So they've tried to kind of make it somewhat prescriptive, you know, likely to make it more easy to adopt, I guess. Yeah. But it is, it's just a basic it's standard rebar reinforced concrete design. And in most parts of the country, it's it's very mild. You know, the loads are really just wind and snow. The moments that develop in these walls and the shear that develop in these walls is small. Right. So most of the reinforcement that you put in these things where it's really needed is like at the lintels, you know, around like, you know, if you have thin areas that are the function more as columns and things like that. So that brings up a question and I want to get into the construction of this specific project too, but I just have a quick question. So with lintels, like, do you alter the dosing rate of the helix based on what's required for reinforcing steel? Like, are you able to put a heavier concentration of helix in certain areas or is it just kind of uniform throughout the whole mix? 
while right now it's uniform throughout the mix. Okay, gotcha. And I don't want to get off the topic, Carrie, but we had a presentation in, in a committee that I helped found at the American Concrete Institute. It's Committee 380. Okay. It was a group out of Boston that has a technology. It's in essence a 3D forming technology where you theoretically you have a robot that basically continuously forms a wall and it can it can vary the amount of helix okay. as you go. So you could put like, let's say, a very high amount of helix right in that lintel area and just a lower amount in the rest of the area. And if you're interested, I can... I can give you a referral to that company. It's really cool technology. It's a, it's probably a few years out there. But for now, what we do is we we kind of look at what's the least common denominator of reinforcement. Say it's number fours at 48 inches or 24 inches, 16 inches. And we design based on that amount of reinforcement or just the basic wind load. And then we'll leave the lentil steel just because it's not cost effective to deal with that. Gotcha. That makes sense. So back to this project. So two stories? Yeah, it was two stories with a full basement. Okay. And both stories above grade, were they ICF or concrete walls? Yes. Yep. Okay. What a great opportunity for your team. Like that does sound amazing to be able to kind of implement this in the field. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, we there are a lot of different ICF systems. This one used a system called Integrospec. With this system, you have to assemble the blocks. The blocks are not pre-assembled. So it was really, I was amazed at how quickly the team caught on because it was kind of complicated at first, how these blocks have to go together and they had to have certain overlapping. There were certain rules that we had to follow because one of the big things with ICF in the construction phase is the possibility of what they call a blowout. So they want to be able to fill the concrete with a relatively high slump mix so they don't have to over vibrate it from the top. And they want to be able to fill a whole story of form at a time. And you, so you have to make sure that these things are interlocked and that they can handle that pressure, the hydrostatic pressure of the concrete. So it was kind of slow at first. You we're literally cutting the, the foam with saws and these little connectors and things like that, putting them together. But we really started moving about halfway through the day. We actually had snow. It was like almost hail during our lunch break and we're like, oh boy, this isn't gonna, but then, you know, the hail stopped and we got out there and we we got that whole first story done. Okay. And I didn't hear any stories of any blowouts <laughs> or anything from the folks on the construction team. That's awesome. So then what was the floor in the roof system? It was just wood framed. Okay, yeah. wood framed, okay, gotcha. Did that have to happen incrementally then, like the first floor and then the second floor framing? So the first floor, concrete walls, then second floor framing, and then second floor walls? Yeah, that's how they do it. So they, okay. when we got there, the basement was done and yeah, the basement was ICF as well. And the floor diaphragm was in place and we were just building up the, the walls on the first story. Awesome. So you guys were involved from the design perspective too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, I mean, what was like the most fascinating thing about that project, do you think? You know, I, I guess just commenting on the design process a little bit, you know, one of the things we really like to do is work with the design team, try to be a partner to the design team. And, you know, Corey engaged with our structural, I have three structural engineers here where we looked at her original design and, and provided advice on here's this reinforcement needs to stay. This is what we can do with Helix. 
et cetera. A lot of people will ask this. The way that we get the product approved is through the use of an ICCES evaluation service report. It is report 3949. It is very tailored for wall and footing construction. So basically what we do is we use the alternative means and methods allowances that are in the IBC and IRC, section 104.7, okay. along with a research report, which in our case is the ICC report. Which is a code and like an industry-wide acceptance, like as a structural engineer, if there's ever new technology that someone wants to implement, like that's question number one, like what's your ICC or your ESR report? Right. So we have a report and what that report does is it demonstrates to the code official that we're meeting the performance requirements of the building code. So the codes allow you to use alternative methods, alternative means, as long as you demonstrate to that building official that whatever you're using meets the requirements, the performance requirements of the building code. And ICC and IATMO, for example, are ISO certified or certified by ISO produce these reports that all the data comes from third-party labs, everything's evaluated kind of at an arm's length so that the engineers, number one, they don't have to read a PhD thesis to implement a new technology, but they can also, along with the building official, be confident that what they're being told is true and accurate. Yeah. Well, and like to your benefit too, like you mentioned, it's an independent testing agency. So that way it's not like you're doing your own checks and balances. So for us as a structural engineer, we know that you're presenting a new technology and it has been tested by someone independently that's recognized by ICC. And with those values in that report, then that falls and and satisfies kind of that means and methods section of the code, correct? Correct. Okay. And, you know, we kind of pioneered that for structural concrete in discontinuous reinforcement, at least. We're the only company that has, well, we've got two evaluation reports. I won't go into the details of those, but there are two evaluation reports that allow us to use Helix in these, I would say, mild structural applications. They're the, the footings, the walls, and other types of foundation elements are primarily what what we do. The other thing, Carrie, that has made the residential market, you know, very happy uh, recently the over, I think it was in June, ICC has a new product called an engineering equivalency report. And basically what they did for us is we use the ICC report that we have to develop prescriptive tables for below and above grade walls. So just like in the IRC, you've got those prescriptive tables. There's now a report that says, if you have this high of a wall with this much backfill or this wind condition, this is how much helix you need. And it's all right there and it's published by ICC. They did the calculations to make sure that everything complies with the valuation report. So it makes it even easier for just builders, for example, or architects who, who might not have the time or might not wanna go and hire a structural engineer for just a typical installation of, say, a basement wall or an ICF wall. So that makes it even easier. But, you know, innovation can be a challenge. But to your point, uh, you know, ICC is really a, a good way to go because you've got that assurance. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, that just brings up a good point, too, of the fact that, like, it's simpler. Not like so many times, like a structural engineer for a single family home is not really 
they don't really need an engineer of record. You know, maybe it's just the contractor involved or maybe there's an architect involved. And like to your point now with this new, is it engine? What was it called? An EER? It's, it's an EER report, engineering equivalency report. And, okay, you know, it is designed and it, you know, ICC has presented it to the building, their building official constituents as this is a pre-approved design. It's pre-engineered. So as long as you're meeting the requirements, now there are footnotes, obviously, that you got to make sure you're meeting, just like there are in the IRC. As long as you're meeting those requirements, you do not have to have a structural engineer to do that substitution. Now, some of our engineer friends might not like that because, I mean, that's that's business. But on the other hand, you know, that's a lot of time that can be saved on, you know, just a typical basement wall, for example. There's not a lot of engineering that would go into that anyways. What we hear from a lot of the folks that are structural engineers is that they appreciate having that as a resource as well. So if somebody comes and says, you know, I'd like to use Helix in the wall, you can go right to the report and it's there and it's a time saver for the engineering community as well. Yeah, I think like as you're saying that, I would think of that as well as a professional that it would be nice to have that as a resource. And I think many of us as structural engineers, like if it's a simple project and if a structural engineer is not required, we don't want to add unnecessary cost to a project to just be involved, to be involved. Like if it's something that the contractor is comfortable assuming that risk and it's not required and it's a super simple project by all means. And then it's nice to have your resources as well so that they know that they can use the Helix rebar too. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's it's been a good time saver and it's it's really helped with kind of adoption of the product. One of my questions that I wanted to ask you is how a practicing structural engineer could incorporate Helix into their design. And I think you've already done a great job of kind of addressing that with, you know, kind of that prescriptive side. I guess, is there anything else you would like to add to that? Like how a structural engineer could use Helix in their design? Yeah, so that's that's a good question. You know, there's really kind of a couple ways. I mean, we, we talked about one way, you know, if it's a simple implementation, low seismic, residential, you know, those tools like the EER are really great. If you are doing more of an industrial project or a commercial project that has more complicated elements, you're going to quickly fall outside of what's in, in a report like that. And we have, I guess, two principles. Number one, we want everybody to kind of be able to do what we do. So that's why we have, that's why we've invested in the evaluation reports. We've had you know, the first report that we had was first published in 2011. It has sample calculations in it so that engineers can can do the actual calcs themselves, as does the, the ICC report. But we get it, too. As a structural engineering firm, you know, there's pressure to get projects out, and it takes a long time to kind of get your head around something that's new. So we have three engineers on staff in they are at our customer's disposal. We don't charge for their services. We do not act as an engineering firm, but what we do is say you've got a project that you, you'd like, say you've got a bunch of footings you want us to look at. You can submit those drawings to us and we'll provide initially within a relatively short amount of time, a, a sort of an estimate of what we, well, can we do it or not? And if we can, what the rough design would be. And then 
from there, we typically will have a discussion with the engineer or the customer to see, you know, is there value for that? And then if there is, then we can produce a full set of calculations that follow the steps of the valuation report. So it's showing compliance with the valuation report. And at that point, a lot of engineers are satisfied with that. And, and remember, you can put an alternative design for Helix on a drawing as an alternative. So say you, you leave the rebar on the drawing and you say in the note, you can replace it with Helix in accordance with the valuation report, ESR 3949. Then it goes to the building official and the building official is the one that actually formally approves it. If say an engineer is not 100% comfortable with using Helix, maybe it's the first time they've seen it. We have many engineers that are very comfortable with it. If the engineer is willing to delegate the design for that particular component to one of these engineers that we can provide a referral to, that's another path. Okay. So in your mind, what, what would be some of the major benefits of going, and you, I know you kind of already talked on this, but I kind of want to get just a, a really great summary of the major benefits of going from mild reinforcing to helix reinforcement. Okay. So most of our customers initially come to us when they've got a couple of issues going on. It's not just one, but then often they get hooked and they keep going. So those issues are number one, they can't get enough people to come and work on the job site. You know, rebar is very time consuming. I mean, it's hard labor. You're lifting this dirty, sharp rebar around the job site, you're placing it. It has to be placed at the right you know, location, otherwise it's really not effective. They might be having issues with errors and you know, like a lot of, a lot of folks recently, I mean, I've got contractors who are pulling people off the street who have no idea about construction and they're laying rebar and they don't understand the difference between putting the rebar at the top and the bottom uh, of a section yeah. and how important that is, for example, from a structural engineering perspective. So labor availability materials that that fluctuates, you know, during the pandemic, we had a major shortage. You know, right now we're having a shortage of concrete or cement actually in a lot of markets. So that's another one. We can often reduce the thickness of concrete because we can increase that flexural strength. So we can reduce the amount of steel that's needed. So those are a couple, just the cost of the project, particularly if there are two layers of rebar initially, we can save direct costs, if not at least be cost neutral on direct costs. And time is maybe the biggest one of all, because a lot of times you'll have a separate crew that comes in and puts rebar. Sometimes you have to wait for them. You have to wait for inspections. Sometimes that days or weeks pass by, and a lot of our customers say they'll save as much as a day of construction every 10,000 square feet that they use Helix on. And, and that, that can have benefits all the way for the customer. And then more recently, we've had people asking about, you know, how can you reduce the carbon footprint? And we sell a steel product. Steel is not like the lowest carbon footprint product out there, however, we do reduce the amount of steel that's used, can be less than half because of the efficiency of Helix. And then we also can reduce the thickness, sometimes 30, 40% of concrete. So there are ways that we can kind of roll our sleeves up and provide actual reduction in, in initial carbon footprint. In the case of these ICF buildings, you can get even more on the back end through the efficiency gains. Yeah, all of those things. Like there's so many things I didn't think about, like 
you know, I'm typically thinking of it just as the concrete sub, but you're right. Like they're typically two sides to that, the people that are doing the concrete side of it and then the reinforcement side. And I'm just thinking back to field site visits and seeing people trying to bend rebar and get it to fit in the form. And that is like hair pulling annoying. (laughs) Well, and Carrie, that was like going back to this project, that was like, I have some pictures of cutting. I, you know, they let you use all the power tools there. I guess you signed some waivers or something, but <laughs> yes. you know, I was cutting rebar cause there's still some rebar you got to put in. So I was cutting rebar with the diamond blade and all the sparks flying out and, and we had a rebar bending P and, and yeah, that it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Got to be real strong to bend that number five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no fun. So, okay, on this project, on the Habitat project, what is like something unexpected that came up? The unexpected thing for me, first of all, it became a big like media event, which we weren't expecting. They had the the Ready Mix company there. They set up a podium and all this stuff. It was on the news. And I wasn't expecting any of that, you know, Mm -hmm. by coincidence that happened. But it was cool because I got to meet, you know, the the architect came, you know, Corey was there, all the folks from Habitat, Greg Lewis from NRMCA came in, the folks from Consumers Concrete came in. And, you know, we really got a chance to kind of talk to all the stakeholders at once and really kind of celebrate together what we had accomplished with this. And I, I, I do think, you know, Habitat was a little bit skeptical at first, but I think they saw it like for them, the ICF is almost maybe it's even a better fit for them because they have all these amateurs, you know, the amateurs are either trying to like build with two by stick frame or they're stacking these things that are basically like Legos. Yeah. And I think they were a little bit surprised that, wow, you know, maybe this is something that from a volunteer perspective could be a better fit than stick framing. Yeah. I mean, I've used the nail gun stick framing with Habitat and like, maybe I shouldn't have been like the most... (laughs) willing participant in that, I guess. So yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of amateurs out there (laughs) doing that type of work. (laughs) Okay, so here's what I'm thinking and what I'm wondering. So you, you know, with Helix, you've got your team, you guys are designing Helix reinforced walls daily in your office. And then on this project, like you were saying earlier, you and your team got to go out and actually implement it. So in that event where they were pouring the walls, if you could sum up your feeling in one word, what would it be? Pride. Okay. Pride could be one, but also just very grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of that, to be able to kind of serve our community while at the same time, you know, seeing our product really helping, just really seeing the team get into it. Everybody at the end of the day was just really passionate. They were really, it's almost like they didn't want to leave (laughs) when they said, you know, we're done because we had finally got the hang of it and we were moving quickly and we were just having fun. But yet it was an opportunity to kind of do something that really matters for the community. Yeah, love it. So that field experience, do you think that was conducive to growth for your team in the design aspect of things? I think we found some things that seemed like there were, you know, definitely opportunity. You know, some of the ways that the the, the block comes together, some of the connections, some of the, the areas where we do need rebar, maybe we don't need as much rebar. I mean, the head of our structural engineering group, Justin, was all over it. You know, he had, he put together a whole like debrief presentation for the team the next week where we went through kind of all the detailing and all the things that 
and yeah, so I think there's definitely going to be some improvements. I think one of the things we're working on is a sheet that we will add to that EER report that has some of the additional detailing requirements that are sort of, you would assume somebody would know, but maybe yeah. they don't, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like the corner bar detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So again, it's about making it easier, more accessible, and making sure that people are having success. Love it. So if you could give the Habitat Project a theme song, what would it be? It depends on how cheesy you want it me to be. That's fine. Go for it. You know, it's about community. It's about, like, helping people. So, you know, you could have a little help from your friends, the Beatles. Yes. I love it. And, you know, it is hard. I mean, Habitat has a pretty high demand. If you want your company to get involved with something like this, you have to request it usually far in advance, at least here. Okay. I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country. So we were really lucky to have the opportunity, especially on a project that was using our product. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I've never heard of that before. I'm sure it happens sometimes, but like what a great opportunity. And it like takes that pride to a whole nother level of like being able to help out your community and also being able to like help out your community with your product. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Luke, how do you recharge when you're not working? Well, I I got a busy life. I have three kids and chase them around quite a bit, but I swam in college. I still swim a little bit. I I do a little bit of cycling, mountain biking, and more recently, I got myself a telescope. Oh, fun. There were some pretty cool views of Jupiter this fall here in Michigan. Okay. Very bright. So, you know, I kind of got into that a little bit. I I kind of live out where it's dark and that was kind of cool. So, you know, people like me don't have a lot of hobbies, I think, because we're very busy. But, you know, I, I have found that you you do need some to get your your mind, you know, sort of fresh for the next day. That's great words of wisdom. I mean, looking at the projects that you're working on, your position within the company, you know, leading it, and then also being so involved with all of, you know, the ACI committees, subcommittees. Yeah, it seems super busy, but how great that you've found at least a little bit of time for some of these hobbies. Yeah, no, it's good. And I, I enjoy the stuff, the ACI stuff, the ASTM stuff. I I get really passionate about just the idea of innovation and the importance of having pathways in the codes to allow for it. It's that alternative, keeping that alternative pathway open. Mm-hmm. Different people have different opinions of that. But my opinion is, is that if the code has sort of clear ways to demonstrate performance that the market would then be free to find the best ways to do things. And what I hope, the legacy that I hope that I'm able to leave is that with Helix, we've just taken a step on that path. You know, like with the the committee I founded at ACI with Jim Beatty, the 380 committee is looking at a very specific measurement of performance that could be used to evaluate concrete mixes that can do far more than what we we've ever seen them do before and then allow use of it you know directly so you develop a stronger concrete mix a mix that that has a stronger tensile strength you can immediately submit an ASTM test for that and use it as a structural engineer in design which streamlines it <laughs> just instead of just neglecting the strength of concrete at all so i'd love to see ACI kind of we're working on a report that would hopefully inform 318, the main code, and 332 on ways to better allow for that. And then I'd love to see companies kind of compete for ways to make concrete better. 
within that context, better, more sustainable, more resilient, all those things. Well, just like you were talking earlier, if you're able to make a thinner wall, like then just by definition, like you're making a smaller carbon footprint too, just because, I mean, it's just pure math at that point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can make it thinner, maybe you can make it of a different, I mean, there's all, all this stuff with Portland limestone cement. I don't know if that's the ultimate answer, but if the market is free to pursue these things and there's a clear way for structural engineers to implement them without years and years and years and years of research, you know, I don't want to go down too far on this path, but the path is based on structural plain concrete. It's chapter 14 of ACI 318. And that section basically now asks you to use a prescriptive value for the strength of concrete, five times the square root of the compressive strength. Back in the 1960s, they allowed you to measure the flexural strength using ASTM C78, a beam test. They took that out. Nobody knows why. So what we're looking to do is try to get that performance option back in. So if somebody develops an additive or a special mix design that say gives you 10 times the square root of F prime C or 30 times the square root of F prime C, then you can use it exactly within the context of chapter 14. So again, footings, walls, foundations, all those things are allowed in chapter 14, but imagine being able to do all those things without rebar, just with a mix design that you've evaluated with a simple beam test to show that it meets the performance requirements. So we're doing all kinds of stuff. We got, we're looking at reliability and safety. We're looking at fracture mechanics. We're looking at, you know, what would be needed to kind of put that performance-based option in the code so that then we can pursue that, approaching it different ways. And to me, that just feels like that's like the innovation section of the code. Like, I feel like so many things have remained the same for so many decades that it's this exciting time for innovation. And like that allows a pathway for that innovation. So I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I did this project called the Mars Canopy a few years ago, where it was like this, it was a couple of architects in LA that made this sort of catenary structure. It was a pavilion and it had no reinforcement in it. You know, Carrie, we got to kind of go away from the way we build now. Like ICF is great, but it's like very orthogonal. You want to really enable 3D printing. You want to enable like 3D slip forming or robotic forms of construction, automated forms of construction. You need integrated reinforcement. And to your point, we ought to be able with our material science and you know, if we allow the market to take advantage of these things, we ought to be able to make pretty much any shape we want thinner, you know, with the materials we have. It's just a matter of you know, how do we do it? And ACI, you know, when I went through school, the 318 book was probably about that thick. Now it's like twice as thick. If anything, it's getting more prescriptive and there's a need for prescriptive, you know, it's, it's a safety thing, but there's also a way to do performance design that, you know, takes that into account and allows new ideas to kind of, there needs to be an ecosystem of new ideas and there needs to be a, a, a way to implement them because going through a 10, 20 year approval process isn't very exciting for any commercial entity with an idea. No, or affordable. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that too, because it, it's like new ideas, but then they're also tested. So from a risk standpoint, it, it helps out with that a lot too. <laughs> well, it closes the loop. Like, so for example, in that case, you would 
theoretically, you'd have a, a ready mixer provide a submittal that says, here's the flexural strength of the concrete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then it can be verified in the field as well. So it, it completely closes the loop. So the engineer knows this is the design value I'm going to use based on the submittal. And then they can they can request that it's it's verified. And then you still apply the resistance factors and you know all the LRFD stuff to make sure that you're taking into account that the risk, you know, how ductile the, the, the material is, as well as you know, the consequence of failure. Yeah. No, this has been fascinating. I cannot wait to learn more. Thank you so much for taking time to sit down and talk about the Habitat Project and then also to talk about Helix in general. And I feel like we had like a little special nugget in there because you are so involved with ACI and kind of these new initiatives with ACI. So thanks for sharing your knowledge with that too. So keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great things in the industry and trailblazing. So Thanks for doing that and keep it up. And thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks so much. It's my pleasure, Gary. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows... Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today. Hey there, architecture enthusiast, Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. <laughs> We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender.